Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Battle Royale podcast. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. It feels though we're almost at Jenny's end, but there's still a fair few chapters to go, there's still a fair few events to see. And tonight, I think, was felt like kind of a, a rest episode for ourselves. This is the weird. This is going to be the weirdest episode, I think. This is this 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 sequence that's in this chapter makes little to no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> yet, yet is equally memorable. Um, you know, we've had the we just had the lighthouse, which is like one of the most memorable sequences in the film. And then we're about to enter sort of the last act as well, uh, where we're going to get, you know, where things are really going to come to a head. And there's this, the the things that happen tonight (laughs) are just weird. Um, And put the show, put the show, put the film into a, uh, into magical realism territory. (laughs) It's been, last time it was, um, it was like a Roberto Rodriguez movie. Now we're in magical realism. But yes, let's not spoil what's going to happen. Well, let's, let's, I mean, best of starting at the start of the chapter, which is always the best of places to start. And we open with probably one of the most cinematic shots of the whole movie, as we see clouds rolling over the hills and a weird sense of calm that's uh, passing over the islands, probably because most people are dead at this point. Um <laughs> We're now essentially down to our two key groups. We obviously have uh, have uh, Noriko and her two protectors. We've got the third man and his two uh, guys. And then we've obviously got a couple of main hunters that are obviously left in the fray and a couple of odd characters as well who we will be uh, catching up with very soon as uh, we draw to the end of our game. But... Uh, Obviously, our leading man, he's uh, survived a lighthouse, survived falling in an ocean, survived a crazy person with a machine gun. It's just been a busy, busy day so far, really, because we'd say it's about 24 hours worth of uh, of um, advent- misadventures he's been through. And now he's just like this walking wounded guy who's just like wrapped in bandages and on a crutch. I don't remember him being... At the end of the lighthouse, yeah, he'd, he'd he'd rested up. He had he had some bandages on, but he was running around the lighthouse quite happily. I and think now, he had a crutch, didn't he? I, I can't remember now. He's 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 covered in blood. He's got a bag with every weapon from the lighthouse in it. <laughs> he's got a giant stick that he's using to get around. He's 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 on the he's he's deteriorated badly. Um, but then maybe he was all on drugs you know I don't, I don't know what they were doing to him in the lighthouse so maybe um maybe his uh his situation was um aspirined up or something before um meanwhile noriko is uh, apparently very the probably most unconcerned person on the island as uh she's busy playing house yeah make make it making home a kawada what, what are the pair of them doing they're settling down for the rest of the day. They they found somewhere to live. They're they're foraging for mushrooms. They're using an axe to trim, 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 um, 
sticks to make chopsticks. They're um, having a lovely time. It is actually mentioned in the next chapter that uh, they're on the edge of a danger zone, so that probably is mm. why they're, they're mo- the least concerned, because you assume everyone would be pushing down towards the centre of the map mm. as the uh, outskirts are slowly sort of closing in. So that's probably the giving them this illusion of safety here. and So much so that she decides she's going to have a nap. Because, of course, why not? Um, and in doing so, she has a dream about herself and uh, Katano. Mm. Um, where they go for ice lollies on, a, <laughs> on the edge of a river. And she wakes up and says that she sends a real sense of sadness uh, about him and loneliness which is something that would not be translated in either the book or the manga because he's horrible in both of those editions <laughs> and utterly remorseless I mean, it's just really it's just the whole thing is just really weird because she's asleep yeah then we, we see her in the dream but we can't they can't hear anything can they so she's with that she's with him she says she's by a river, but it looks more like an estuary or something. It looks a bit more man-made to me. But and they're and they're eating ice creams, but you can't hear what they're saying because it's one of those dreams. And then we flip to your man Katano in headquarters having a nap. He's woken up by his daughter. It's a lot of work eating all those cookies, though. It is, but he's woken <laughs> up. There's a phone call. It's from his daughter, who's goes on to berate him ending with my favourite line so far from the film is um, don't breathe when you're on the phone to me because I can't stand your stinky breath which is a burn (laughs) (laughs) well Um, she does she also calls him mister yeah she doesn't call him like dad or father or anything no it's just mister it sounds sounds like mum his wife is is probably having some mental problems probably probably same you know um like the old uh, the guy from Cure that we saw in the, back on the main show where the, where the bloke didn't want to go home because his wife was having um schizophrenia problems or something like that's going on the daughter doesn't want to look after her she wants her dad to come home and look after her but it's not a very positive conversation but only then do we come back and Noriko wakes up and it's almost as if they've been having a shared dream and it's very weird it's very oddly put together it's going to get odder in a minute, but <laughs> but but not to not not to next episode. But the, the, this this yeah, it, le- it leads to something else. But this is the this is like following up on. I think oh, I can't remember. It, it is earlier in the film. The Noriko's general who turns up to school, isn't she? On the on the ass cutting day. Um, yes, because the rest of the class didn't feel like coming in. Yeah, so, so there has there is a connection between them, but there's yeah, this is the beginning of this weird. He thinks of Noriko as his daughter, kind of mode, and she goes, "Oh, he sounded so sad." <laughs> even, even Kawada says that must have been a nightmare to have him in your dreams. <laughs> Because <laughs> he says to his daughter that he's away on a business trip, so his his daughter doesn't apparently know that he's part of the battle royale program, uh, that he's on this mission of of vengeance, so to speak, by becoming um becoming involved in the program and in particular ensuring that this class got picked, um, who he's obviously ha- held this grudge against. And I can't, I just kind of want to like call my shot and say that I'm sure this scene was included just because they had to cut um beat Takashi Takano there and it's like we've got to do something with him we can't just like have him on and just like not just have him lie on a couch 
the whole time. So we'll we'll create the scene for him because the thing with Beast because kind of when you look at him and his particularly his acting style, you kind of struggle. You can from when you if you're unfamiliar with his work, you can kind of sort of struggle to understand what the appeal of the guy is. It's kind of what Rick Flair is to wrestling. The old Gubu just looks like Tan Levin woos a lot, but he's like the greatest thing in wrestling. Beat Takano is basically that in Asian cinema. He's just this guy who looks kind of like he's uh, got sort of like beady sort of eyes, but he's yet the most charismatic thing that you ever encounter. He's he's like... The way I always think of him is he's a bit like your seedy uncle that your mum doesn't really talk about much but comes round for Christmas with the best presents and proceeds to dink your dad's scotch and 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 and, and this you, is a Stevens Christmas isn't yeah it? this and, is nothing and, to do with you know, and, 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 and as a kid you think oh Uncle Takashi he's so fucking cool but actually later <laughs> on in life when you grow up you realize he's a complete dick that's how I feel about Takashi <laughs> He's just like a cool, a cool uncle with a seedy underbelly. Mm. Yeah, it does, it doesn't help as well that when you like look at all the other films we had access to at this period, and it's just like <laughs> things like Violent Cop and Son of Time, where he's like playing like triads and so like that, and just generally not being a particularly nice person. Yeah. Um, and I think the when he came over to like um, and did like Brother with uh, Film Four Productions, like his one English sort of production other than obviously like Ghost in the Shell mm. and I don't think they really got 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 what he was uh, all about with that either so that was a bit of a miscasting there wasn't it um uh, he's yeah I mean he's 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 a guy with boundless charisma frankly but yeah to look at him you wouldn't say movie star no no would you think that this is the guy who would create Takashi's castle yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know if he—I don't know if he literally created it, but yeah, yeah, but... he did. He said he wanted to create a, a game show that was like a video game, like Super Mario. Yeah, and that's where you have like levels where they have them actually running through a video game style set, which of course doesn't work. Yeah, um, while finding new and unique ways to humiliate the masses. Uh, it's um yeah in, in the sort of the dirtiest bit of Japan we can find. <laughs> All like, in the pursuit the, of a gift token. The, <laughs> I've, I've never seen anybody win to cash. I saw one, and that's basically because when we were in the uh, when working at the cable company, we had it on every day. <laughs> we saw one person ah, win it. So I, the, I, I was watching a fellow on YouTube who decided to try and track down all the winners of Takeshi's Castle. Apparently, it's been about four ever. Okay. And yeah, it was like a British guy, but he was living in Japan. But yeah, he, he got like a private detective and stuff like that and tracked down the winners. <laughs> but yes, I mean, it, but it wasn't about the winning, was it? It was about it was... Japanese people making fools themselves on assault courses with other people dressed up as characters and then that tank thing shooting water at tissue paper at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, we've gone off tangent, but yes. Wouldn't um, it be funny if Battle Royale <laughs> ended with an assault on the General's <laughs> castle? <laughs> After some of the things we see in this episode, who knows? That's true. I wonder if he was inspired by Battle Royale. <laughs> It was as bad as um, if you won Nightmare and you just got that weird metal plaque. Oh, yeah, that's that that pseudo um, virtual reality three D. Yeah, yeah, it was. Thing, uh... 
where uh, kids didn't apparently know left and right and would often fall off things. Yeah. Well, that's that. that I have an audience keeping up. <laughs> welcome to welcome to eighties and nineties TV kids. I don't know. So far, I mean, we've covered Bullseye. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> this... I've forgotten about Bullseye. Yep. <laughs> we're, we're just we're not just providing a breakdown of Battle Royale. We're giving you a dose of eighties to nineties t- TV culture, culture. Through, through the eyes of two cynical old men. <laughs> um, so we obviously have this dream, and it, as you said, it's a, a, a little bit weird. Um, the fact that she just like wakes up because you assume it's like a flashback to with the day he got stabbed in the ass. But looking like looking back at it now, I mean, she said that she has seen Catherine the whole way, like washing his ass uh, or his wound, and um, she says like that was the last time we saw him because he left the school the next day. So this whole scene with him, well, the, those two going for ice cream, would never have happened. Really. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't appear to be a memory. It's not. It's, she doesn't <clears> say that, does she? She doesn't say all. Oh, no, it's oh, a oh, dream, isn't it? Yeah, but but why? But don't worry, it'll all be explained next <laughs> next episode. <laughs> so we also have this when she goes wakes up from this uh, moment. She's they're talking to Quada and she's like talking about I always thought I would be a normal girl and like grow up and get married <laughs> and it's thinking yes yeah, everyone else was just like totally gearing up to be part of a battle royale yeah <laughs> oh really that's that's what you thought well, I, yeah what, what was everybody else thinking something different yeah but it's weird that she's having this conversation with Kawada who obviously probably thought that himself a couple of years ago with his girlfriend um, but um, tasteless, really. And I did get a little feeling. He, you know, he's beginning to get a little crush on on her himself, isn't he? He is. He seemed bemused by her, her ramblings. Mm. Um, so yeah, you can. He and I think the fact that um, Ginger has um, is so out, been out of the picture for at least a couple of days at this point. So we're not sure if he's not even sure if he's sort of like alive. So maybe he's like sort of like stepped up in the protector sort of role, maybe. Oh well, yeah, as um, as, as uh, Mitsuko will call her, so her two prince protectors that she's so, got. and while he's obviously walking through the woods, he obviously has this sort of flashback to his father, uh, the meal that they had before he entered into seventh grade, and his father really being a completely broken person. He's having no luck getting a job at all. His cell phone contract sucks um, and the restaurant service at that is also particularly dire as well as he well for him anyway keeps... I'm not sure if for anybody else but he's yeah he's totally distracted he's totally um, frustrated with life and again we've got to remember this is Japan people don't shout at restaurants at people in Japan you know, but they don't do it here very often do they but you know what I mean this, this is this is even worse behaviour than maybe we're thinking it is Although Shoya's sort of yeah, sit up straight, boy. <laughs> he's, he's lounging all over the table like a little killer. He's a whip round the ear or something. <laughs> Dad, his dad's moaning about everything and then shouting at people because not giving him water quick enough. Yeah, happy happy memory there for Shoya. <laughs> but it's um, it's what drives him on. This this this. You've got to keep going. You've got to run. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then of course he goes to a happier memory straight after that, remembering his dad 
hanging from the rafters when he came in one day with uh, with a uh, was it he said on the on the on the on the toilet roll wrapped around him? Was it go show you go something like that? Yeah. So yeah, that's run. that's how he's being inspired by his crazy old dead dad. Um, and you know that wasn't enough inspiration to keep going. We have because we're watching the director's cut. We get an additional um, dream sequence with the returning Nobu, who we all remember basically having his throat blown out early in the game. Um, and he's inspiring. He reminds him that you know you got to look after Noriko, but we're going to tell us this with a basketball that's bouncing backwards. Yeah. So, yeah, weird. So, is this the first time we've seen the basketball court, or is it the second time? We've I've... seen the basketball court before because um, we had the flashback to all the class where it was all like, and we were happy, and it showed them all playing That's basketball. Right. Yeah. So these these basketball this basketball so will actually lead into something pretty fucking cool at the end. But at the moment, they do feel crowbarred in. Indeed, they are. <laughs> it's the director's cut. Um, <laughs> But it's really weird, you know, he, he has these two memories, one of which we've seen before, and the other one which doesn't show anybody in a very good light, frankly. And then there's this one, and, and it looks, it's completely different film stock, it's all very beige, uh, yeah, and then the basketball bounces. He's, he's sitting there, isn't he, all sort of all miserable in his basketball outfit. And then this basketball sort of bounces, and then you realise that the film's being played backwards, the way that the ball is bouncing. And then up, yeah, up, up in the um, gallery... There is Nobu saying you've got to look after Noriko, which is convenient because Noriko, at the same time, oh I don't know, is that true? Has that happened yet? Oh, checks Stephen checks his notes. No, I don't know. I don't think that is going to happen yet. But yeah, everyone's going to become fucking psychic in a minute. <laughs> All these dreams and flashbacks and imaginary things. Everyone's in everybody's head. <laughs> it, it does seem that Noriko's like implying that she has suddenly developed psychic abilities, which would be very random. It, Especially because they're not touched on any other point in this film. No, and none of this. I'm taking none of this is in the manga. None of this is in the. Um, in the in the no, I don't remember any of this being in the novel. No, I don't believe it's in the novel either. So, yeah, it's um, it's just really really weird. This whole sequence of flashbacks and dreams and the way it's structured. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's being done. To, you know, we we talked earlier in an earlier episode about you know filmmakers don't tend just to randomly chuck stuff together. There's usually a reason for it. And I'm sure it's edited in this strange way to show this this connection between Nariko and Shoya and Nariko and Katano, which you know, which will which will pay off eventually, but has come from nowhere in terms of the story that the film's been telling us, because it doesn't sound like Shoya and Nariko were particularly close friends previously. Um, we've had one scene with Katano and Nariko, which didn't really show much depth of um of connection between the pair of them and and, and also Shoya's come round you know sh- sh- we're going to find out that Shoya's finally come round that Noriko's the hottest thing since sliced bread um but again that's that's more for the next episode but it's just a really yeah just a really weird moment with lack yeah there's no, at least no one dies in it there's no violence it's just um a bit avant-garde 
It is an odd, odd scene, especially because we look at the other scenes that we've been to previously, and there's always been an action beat or there's been something there, and this one is just kind of out there, isn't it, really? Um, even with the additional footage that's added with the director's cut, it's it's kind of an odd one. Um, and even worse still, this feels that when we look at what's in the next chapter, it feels that that should have been included in this chapter. Yeah, which is why I'm struggling to talk about things, because things are... Get- you know, th- th- these moments will pay off a little bit, <laughs> literally in the next scene, which feels like should be part of this chapter. Um, and uh, as, as we've spoken before, my, my Blu-ray doesn't have the same chapter as, 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 the, as the DVD, so I'm, no. always having, I'm always having to ask Elwood, which um, where does this chapter end? And usually, I'm quite good at guessing. Usually, you know, th- there's, there's a nice scene of. Um, of some trees or a mountain or the sea or something that that usually define it but once or twice it's a really weird chapter separation that you think if you kept going five more minutes it would be a much more fulfilling scene but hey ho i think that's it isn't it really (laughs) well it is really it's kind of frustrating because yeah everything we're going to say today it will pay off <laughs> it's just, mm. it's just we, we can't say anything yet um, and, you do know, we, we need all this character development though I think that's the, the question we're going to really sort of ask ourselves is like what are we adding by having these multiple dream sequences uh, thrown in I mean obviously with Shuya I mean we can understand it's sort of like his motivation his sort of internal drive to keep going especially when he's been beaten and battered and is now basically this broken man we need I, to know why he's still going what drives him i think we could have yeah you know, i don't think we did this but we're three quarters of the way through the film as this chapter ends we're about a minute an hour and a half for a two-hour film um we're about to enter the, the end game the, we've only got what 10 i think we decided last episode there's only 10 people left um and three of them were in our in our heroic trio gang um we don't need to know that Shui is being um, inspired by the memories of his father. It was, it's enough to know that he's inspired by trying to live or trying to get back to Noriko um, and Kawada. It it it, it, it makes it has no need. There's no need for a connection between Katano and Noriko at all. I don't, I've I've never understood what that adds to the film. So you know, it's, character development should happen before this point. We should be fully aware of what's driving these characters. Yeah, Noriko's sudden explanation that she wanted to be an everyday girl. Well, I never thought she didn't. I didn't think secretly she wanted to be a secret agent or something. Did you? (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) Um, So, yes, this is is really weird. I mean, they're kind of nicely done. That's the weird weird thing, isn't it? In isolation... You know that 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 dream and the silentness of the dream and the otherworldliness of it is really nice. You know, it's a really nice touch. But I think we want to get on with the uh, with, with the climax now, and maybe we could have had some of this earlier. Yes, I know what you mean. It's just sort of like if you look at what's coming up, we've got a big dramatic uh, moment, reunion coming up. We've got the Sephiroth moment coming up. We've got um, some some showdowns between our two alphas in there. So. And even before we get to the end, there's still going to be another really surreal moment coming up as well. So we're not we're not out of the woods yet when it comes to surreal moments in this film. 
No, um, and, and maybe you know, maybe we need to think about you know the director, for example. I think I think he probably has a history. You know, this is the, the surreal, the dream moments. Maybe they're part of his um, <coughs> his cinematic style, and we just have to accept that. And you know, and it's the director's cut, so these are bits, you know, bits of this, like the basketball stuff, has been put back in. So he obviously felt it was important, but just timing and 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 maybe because we are cutting the film down into such small little chunks. Sometimes we're, um, I think I certainly am a little overcritical sometimes for some of these moments. <laughs> it actually, it actually h- hangs together okay. It's just for me, for me, it's just that editing of when Noriko's dream ends and when she wakes up, and the fact another scene happens in between her dream and her waking up that confuses the shit out of me, and it's always confused the shit out of me. But I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he knew what he was doing. Great. Anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that's I think that's enough for this three minutes of film. (laughs) Great. Um, Well, that brings us into tonight's episode. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. And um, you can follow us on Facebook. We are also on Twitter. We're on Instagram, where we uh, try to post things nearly every day. Uh, not only relating to the show, but also fun bits of Asian pop culture on there as well. Uh, you can follow our blog, which is asiansimmerfunclub.wordpress.com, which not only has all our archives in there, we've also got um, lots of fun features in there, such as like the Anime Vault and David Brooks Movie Vault. We've got the Dark Side of Asian Cinema, and we've even got the mixtape stuff on there as well. So uh, plenty to look at and check out. So. Uh, please do and uh, wherever you happen to be listening to us uh, please do hit the like and subscribe button and leave us a review it all helps raise the profile of the show okay Uh, but we will be back next time with chapter 18 die (laughs) (laughs) I was like die ugly but it's not (laughs) yeah die ugly yes (laughs) oh I'm so looking forward to next episode (laughs) but until then Good night.